0: Beginning,
1: beginning, beginning, beginning. all right welcome to the grief dreams podcast my name is sean ram alongside dr joshua black it's a beautiful day and another opportunity to speak with an individual who is in the grief field and it's amazing we love doing this and uh, again shout out to all those people who are listening really appreciate all the downloads um it, it's just an honor to you know look and see and who's listening around the world and hopefully you know we're, we're touching people and, and um Helping them, you know, live life better and making them feel a little bit better each day. On today's podcast, we have with us Marley Rowell, and she is a sassy word mixed media artist, author, and lecturer. Her life changed after she became a suicide widow. She is now the self-proclaimed queen of suicide widow etiquette reformation. Her website is www.suicidewidowetiquette.com. Marley, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you. Glad to be here.
2: Marley, it's uh, it's amazing that you're in the field and you're trying to help people out with understanding suicide. But before all this happened, uh, when it came to your life, you were a, or I guess maybe still are, a sassy, <laughs> sassy word, <laughs> uh, mixed media artist. Could you explain that a little bit for our listeners on maybe how you came to be so sassy and then also uh, put it towards being an artist? <laughs>
0: I think uh, it's the same place that dreams come from. I really think that dreams come from deep within, and there's a, a part of us that is really honest. And, okay, here let's put it this way. When you are doing your day-to-day life, and something comes up that's amiss, and you say to yourself, oh, I knew I shouldn't do this. And you did know you shouldn't do it, but you did anyhow, and you really hit pause and think, wow, I knew not to do that. That little voice, I don't know where that comes from for everybody, but I believe it's innate in all of us. And that that inner knowing is harder to listen to. But I think after my husband's suicide and the whole process going through the grief journey, I really became in tune with that voice and the art is that voice coming through it's like the real honest marley and she's a little sassier than i am if you meet me for lunch
2: Mm. oh that's so interesting so like you you're grown into something new after the loss yes wow definitely that's so that's interesting so i think we is a good time to talk about even your life with your husband prior to his loss. like What was that like and how did you guys meet?
0: We met because of an ice storm in Portland, Oregon, and I blocked his car in. Otherwise, we never would have met. So, you know, (laughs) life has a way of of giving us surprises and leading us exactly where we need to go. Uh, We had a wonderful marriage and from the outside, things always looked really good. Uh, We had two children and real organized, a boy and a girl. I mean, how lucky is that? But for the last decade of my husband's life, he really was struggling with a profound depression. It got really uh, intense probably the last two years, maybe three, if I'm honest. So at that point, we were living a lie and protecting him. He was a pediatric dentist, and it was important that no one know that he was struggling mentally, which uh, is not healthy. It's harder for a person to heal if you can't even talk about what's ailing you, right? Mm. Uh, during that time, he was getting fabulous professional help and doing everything that a person should do to heal. And honestly, it just wasn't enough. So the day of the suicide, it wasn't um, the way we stereotype suicides incorrectly of of an angry, selfish, giving up on life, he just literally wore out trying to stay alive. And I have great clarity about that, and thankfully my children had great clarity about that too. So in some ways, it's like when you're watching someone suffer with a long terminal illness, when they actually pass, you are kind of relieved that they're no longer suffering suicide takes your breath away always. And it did. It was very difficult. But he did everything he could to make it as kind and gentle as a suicide can be. And I appreciate that. But I'm pretty passionate now about people understanding that mental illness is an illness. And there is nothing weak about it. And there's no choice involved here. He definitely didn't want to suffer in the ways that This illness consumed him.
2: And what was that like watching the illness consume him? Like as a a wife and seeing the kids, did relationships get like shattered a little bit because of that?
0: It was very hard. Uh, During the, the last two years when things were really, really difficult, both the kids were out of the house. One out of college and one in college out of state. So that helped because as a mom, you try to insulate your children from sorrow, they were aware. Um, when you really love someone, and they're slow, you're losing them to a disease, that is, when the depression gets this profound, it starts to eat away the rational part of the brain. And he just couldn't function the way, he'd been such a fabulous dad, I mean, really. We had a great life, uh, lots of outdoor activities, and he was just a real hands-on dad. And I'm really thankful they had that all the way through until they couldn't have it anymore. The hard part was living the lie and pretending that he was healthy when he wasn't. And I remember going to a gathering at some friend's house and the couple, announced that one of them had cancer and that they wanted um, this circle of friends to keep them in prayer and help them. And as we left that night, we got in the car and I said, isn't it ironic that you are so sick and we can't ask for the same help that we should be able to ask for? And he looked at me with Terry says, you can't say anything. You can't. And I knew that was true, but it shouldn't be so that's kind of a roundabout answer to your question but at the time of the death i we were really honest at the service about depression and how difficult it is and you know to remember my husband for the life that he lived not for the death that the, of the suicide and it felt so freeing it I was really cathartic for both kids and for me, and then we found shortly thereafter there was a resistance, a hush. People really didn't want to hear about it because they were too uncomfortable, and I understand that. Suicide's very, very hard. But for those of us that are left in the aftermath of a suicide, uh, we we need to be nurtured too, and boy, my dreams were so powerful. So I was just so excited when I learned about your research because I had so much reassurance and guidance through dreams at night that I literally started calling, going to bed my night school. And trust me, widows never want to go to bed because their husbands aren't there. It's like a really tough part in the beginning of grief when you're a widow. And I just, I had this dramatic, the first grief dream I had that was so profound. And I realized there's something going on here that I need and I can't ask for it. I can't control it, but it's happening and it's nurturing. It's very powerful. So I'm super, super excited about
1: your work. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing stuff. and, And we're excited to hear about those dreams, Um, first we wanted to, I wanted to actually ask, it was very interesting what you said about having it be very difficult to keep the secret because that's, I'm thinking about it and like, not only are you dealing with your husband's illness and what he's going through and what the family unit is going through, but you have to now, you know, alter your behaviors and, and keep this secret going, which is tough. That's an added kind of pressure and burden. Explain that to me because was it that it's tough because your family had a certain identity, a certain place in society. And then now you have to kind of, you know, share that with your friends and family, but people aren't really receptive to it. Right. Cause there's the stigma around suicide. Is that, you know, walk me through that.
0: It's, stigma kills more people on planet earth than anything else. All kinds of stigma. I just heard that quote from someone smarter than me. I thought that's true. Um, it doesn't matter. You're, your station in life, if you are are needing to be something that you aren't because what you are isn't acceptable and will be judged, then you're living this dance that is totally exhausting, but you don't even know it's exhausting because you think your survival depends on it. Mm. And that's where we were. He He would go to work, and use all of his energy to get through a day. And and honestly, the patients, being children, were so good for him because kids are so honest, unpretentious, Um, they they were really probably his best medicine. But Mm -hmm. by the time he'd get home at night, there was nothing left. And we, we would have some pretty dark nights. And people that are as profoundly depressed as my husband, which is super rare, they really don't sleep it's it we were we were in a nightmare but you whatever you're forced to live you get kind of used to it and i didn't realize the drama of what we were living and the impact on me until after his death and after you get through the beginning of grief where you're just in shock which i i love shock it was was numbing and kept the pain just a little bit at bay. Mm. And when the shock lifted, I realized, OMG, I am so exhausted. And of course I would be. And then to find out I really couldn't be um, honest about that because it made other people still too uncomfortable, even though they knew it was suicide. That was kind of, I guess, a mixed blessing. They were healing. I get that. And it gave me, um, an unexpected isolation, um, not totally, but more than I would have bargained on. And that's where I could have the greatest healing because in those moments of deep reflection where you realize you don't grieve anything unless you truly loved it and that we did our best. And so all of the, the judgment, the shame the stigma was really inappropriate and i had to have time alone to realize okay that is not my truth and no one can can lay that truth on me because it's it's not true we we really had nothing to be ashamed of i've never worked as hard as my husband worked to heal i mean he worked so hard to heal he tried everything Uh, I've never worked on anything that hard and he didn't fail. He just literally wore out trying to stay alive because once all hope leaves you, which is what ultimately will kill you if you're that depressed and you literally have no hope in tomorrow, which I have never been there. I I don't want anybody else to ever be there, but I saw that and it is insurmountable. It's just, like cancer eats healthy cells in the body depression ate away all hope in him all
1: hope one of those things those illnesses i'm not sure what the specific disease if you call it that whatever but it's a serious thing that happens to individuals that happens to people and Mm -hmm. it's one of those things and i'm just i just can't because i just can't wrap my head around it because you know I would imagine people looking at your family are like, "Oh wow, you know, he's a dentist, he's doing amazing, you know, he's he's got this successful business, you know, blah blah blah." But here you are showing us that there's a there's another side to individuals. It's not relative. Sorry, it is relative. It's not the same for everybody. And each individual's each person's journey can have its own challenges and and now, you know, the hard part is that the the this part that sucks is that you can't even get the same sympathy from people or the same compassion because, you know, he, it's being treated differently. His death is being treated differently because, you know, it's not like a someone who dies from cancer, which we all know, or, you know, it's not a young child. It's not, a, he's not even a young kid who's going through depression and, and stuff who, who, who kills themselves. They would go through, they would get more remorse than your husband because he's a successful dentist, right? Which is crazy. It's hard for me to, uh, yeah, go ahead.
0: People come up with the, what did he have? I get everything going for him. You know, what business did he have being depressed? And that's when you think depression is a choice. Um, And it's not. So that suicide widow etiquette is born out of that understanding that we are all um, fragile. And we all have a journey that needs to be um, acceptable. It, the less stigma we have about, well, there are all kinds of things. But when it comes to mental illness, there's such a stigma. So then you're afraid to to be honest about it. And it would actually help other people to know that, um, like, it would, it probably would have been great if people had known that my husband was struggling and this is what struggle looks like and uh that might have been instructive but it uh, we couldn't make that choice. Yeah. We didn't feel we could make that choice.
1: Yeah. How uh how hard was it for him during this process to then see that he doesn't have he doesn't have the energy. He doesn't have it in him. He doesn't have the, you know, he's running on fumes to even give love to his own f- Kids and family the way he wants to. How was that? What was that like to see in his maybe eyes or face that frustration?
0: There's a this is this will be a very odd thing to say. There's a purity that comes in that because he's so heartbroken and so fragile that what he kept saying to me the last couple of months was, "Why won't people do the right thing?" Why won't people do the right thing? So you and I, when we see a a slight done or an injustice or something, we have a reserve that helps us cope. And it it honestly takes a bit of cynicism to cope in a world that is um, not always kind. And he lost all of that uh, resilience, in, in the depths of depression and he just saw the heartbreaks and his heart was so broken that, I mean, and it, it to be honest, we should be heartbroken when we see people mistreated or just that someone didn't get the opportunity they were hoping they would. It's not even a mistreatment, it's just a disappointment. His radar was so out of kilter in being able to cope with any kind of sorrow that he 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 couldn't sustain life, and that was really hell on earth, absolutely, for both of us. Because I could see that, and I tried to be more than I should have, Pollyanna, convincing him that oh no, it'll be okay it'll be okay it'll be okay and it wasn't going to be okay for him
2: yeah and that's the truth right and acknowledging it was... the the truth and it's hard because we even when someone's suffering we have hope that things will be better but it's like how like and you saw that i'm guessing just in the time that the things you tried just couldn't help the way you wanted it to And it's tough. But I
0: I wanted it to.
2: (laughs) Yeah, right. Like we want want to be able to help people, but there's something else that impedes that. And so when you now go, and I'm guessing you talk to a bunch of widows and people who have died by suicide, what do you find that there's a common theme in the conversations or the questions that they have?
1: There's
0: a a commonality in that we, we feel um judged and um it's really it's nice to to share that uh i don't know the right way to put it the understanding that we the stigma that is placed on us like you could you could look at me and say well was she really hard to live with and the the deal is with suicide, everyone has to have a reason for it. And the reason my husband died by suicide was because depression ate away at his world and he had nothing left. That isn't good enough. They want a gambling debt or an awful wife or something really tangible. And I understand it because then you can avoid it. Cause you never want suicide to touch your world and I don't want suicide to touch your world either but we didn't have a second wife in another state we didn't have a gambling debt we just were sick and he died of that and I saw the difference so clearly because my father died of heart issues six months after my husband and the way that death was treated as compared to the way my husband's death was treated was a real teacher to me. It was like, wow, now I see how different this is. So at my own father's memorial service, people have known me my whole life, right? This is, I, that was in Montana. And only three people out of all the people at this service mentioned my husband. They said, I'm so sorry about your dad. And it was about my dad. It needed to be about my dad. We were celebrating a life well lived and it was about my dad, but. At six months, had my husband also died of a heart attack, I'm quite confident they would have said, and I'm sorry about your husband too. Mm -hmm. But because it was suicide, they didn't want to go there. And they didn't even know that it was about suicide, that they didn't want to go there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Everyone really is being loving in this, to be honest. They're trying to spare you anguish, um, but... The truth is anyone who's grieving anyone, not a suicide, you want the person to stay alive. So you want people to bring up the fun times that you had or um, a memory. It, it just you don't want your loved one forgotten. And so there's this added um, lockbox put on the memory of someone who dies by suicide that doesn't belong there. You know, It just doesn't belong there.
1: Yeah, it's it's um, that, that's very sad to hear. <laughs> it's it's sad to hear because it's, you would hope that people could understand it, wrap their head around it. And I understand it's complex. It's very complex. Like someone has, you know, dies of a heart attack, you know, our science has come a far ways so where we can pretty much narrow it down to a, a few different factors, right? Maybe they ate too much of fatty foods. Maybe they didn't exercise enough. Maybe they smoked, whatever kind of figure it out but even then we can't really narrow it down completely but we kind of know but with you know the issues of the mind it's like you know diseases of the mind illnesses of the mind like how are we understanding this and it's tough for us as in society to kind of sit there and wrap our head around it and like in general we see ourselves in other people so it's hard you know, if when your father died, people can see themselves in you and your father and say, okay, and then have compassion there and empathy there. But almost like people don't want to put themselves in your husband's shoes or your shoes, because then that would be too painful for them to wrap their head around. And I think there's a lot of ambiguity around that. And people kind of reach for what's comfortable, which is just stay away from it. Because we don't know, we don't understand yet you know depression is a serious ailment when you talk about it eating away his life you know i i I've, I've i've had a little bit of depression on not on that level but that little depression that i've had in my life it made me understand that i understand that i get that how it could really take away all the good things you know and you guys are the good things in his life you know and not not obviously i don't know completely what's going on in your life or who you people are but like it's odd that people would generally, we all naturally maybe think that, oh, if maybe the situation was that terrible. Well, that's not necessarily the case. You might have been the only thing keeping them alive. We don't know. We don't know a lot of different things. But I mean, it's naive to kind of jump to those conclusions. But again, I am saddened that, you know, you didn't get that type of connection with people who should have been there for you and should have been more understanding. But you do, you have a great amount of, you know, humbleness to you and grace to you that you still try to understand them and say, you know, maybe they weren't ready for something or maybe they want to, but they're just, they don't know how.
0: I had a lot of friends that were there for me. Let's just, I was not totally isolated. I mean, to give that impression. Um, And I think, Depression is a rational, logical reaction to sorrow. And all of us get depressed from time to time, not clinically, but it is a really rational reaction to disappointment. We are sad by things. And I think if we had a healthier attitude about that, that you don't always have to be plugged in happy, then maybe it would be easier for people to get help when that that sadness lasts longer than it should, or it would feel like it's actually proactive, just as it is to eat a better diet, to get therapy from someone that doesn't love you, so they can be more objective, because um, there, there are wonderful tools out there. And I want everyone to access that if they need it. And from time to time, we should probably all need that, right? I mean, life is complicated, um, but very few people get as sick as my husband got. Mm-hmm. And and that should be good news to everyone. <laughs> it should be good news.
2: Yeah, and you're right. And I think as we move forward in society more awareness is being shed on this topic and mental health in general which i'm really excited for and so where you said you talk about resources where are some resources people could go to if they needed to or if they have someone a friend that's struggling
0: well uh, there are uh, depending on where you live there are suicide um awareness groups or you know grief groups we all, my children and I all went to grief counselors, and all grief is different. All grief is different. Everyone, in fact, my children grieve differently, their father, than I grieve my husband. I mean, all grief is different. But a grief counselor really does understand that, and I, what I tell people is when you're seeking help, treat it like a hairdresser. If it's not a good fit, you don't like the cut. You don't go back. You keep trying to. You get someone that you feel heard and you can trust, and and then you're going to have permission to open up with the feelings that are not safe to share with, like like even family. Because then at Thanksgiving dinner they look across the table and they think, oh, she still thinks X. And no, I don't. And this suicide is ten years ago. So I am really. always, always will miss my husband. I will always be sad this happened. But I've done my due diligence with grief, which for trauma, they say seven years. And I really believe it took me seven years. And that's a sign of strength on my part that I actually did the hard work, felt the feelings, and they didn't capture me and I'm not trapped in tears. I am thriving. But I had to feel those tears, and I had to feel that pain. I had to own the disappointments, because when, when this happened, there wasn't a single corner of my life that wasn't altered. But that doesn't mean my life isn't wonderful and vibrant now. So get help. It, it would be my best advice, and to be really picky about who that help is. And it's so different in depending on where you live, what those resources are. But, um, and I had one friend who came over every week and she just sat with me. And she hardly said a word, which is what I needed. And I just vented, um, whatever I was either thankful for or upset about that day. And she would just listen, not say much. She prayed with me and she left. She told me years later, she was, okay, I used to go out by car and cry and think, she is never going to get over this. (laughs) But the truth is, she was safe and I had that ability to let it out. I didn't know I was torturing her, but, you know, we're still very good friends and we can laugh about it now. But you can't fix me. And most, most people tried to do that. It's like, well, let's get busy and do this. Get your mind off of it. Blah blah blah. It's like, please don't try to fix me. I'm, I don't. I would let you if you could. I would love it if you could. <laughs> but that was really my job. I had to figure that out on my own.
2: And I think that that's so true. How the best people, like friends and stuff, they just—they're like almost a loving rock that uh, we had a, a guest on recently that talked about that and it's it's about just providing a space where you can be your most authentic right for you to find and to be able to say things and to try to figure it all out with someone just there you know supporting you along the way and you know there is a part of us that wants to help but you know almost the best thing to help is watch you cry and allow you to cry because it's doing something you know and i'm glad you had those some of those people in your life to be able to do that because you're right you did make it through and that is a celebration that you're able to go through such, such a hard time with so many questions um, afterwards that you're able to be here to help others and to move forward. And since you were a media artist, did you ever do anything with art or anything like that to try to help you cope or to help you um, get out some of the emotions?
0: That was exactly what it was. I. For, for the art, that, the Suicide Widow Etiquette art that's on my website, I didn't intend to do that at all. I went down, we have a downstairs area, and I covered up the pool table made it into this area where I could just be messy with paint. And my intention was to just go down and play, play with the paint, play with the color, just kind of get my emotions out on canvas but these words kept coming and they needed to. And so those poured out onto canvas and I would start to do that and I would go to bed and then those words would get corrected overnight and I'd get up the next morning and say, Oh yeah, that is kinder. <laughs> and cause I needed to be edited. And there's just that pure place where dreams come from and where real art comes from that clarifies uh guides us and it it's always kind it really is but it's always honest mm-hmm. so it's a privilege to go through that process and probably that was the, the key cornerstone to my healing was getting that out and then to be able to use it to teach is really a gift because when i'm with people you can't always take the full art because it's life size um, and there are, you know, six vignettes, that's the equivalent of 12 people, um, but I have little miniatures, so I can sit around a dining room table with eight or ten people, and I go through it, and it it relates to everyone, because everyone has experienced some sort of loss, and they felt all these feelings, but they didn't know anyone else did, maybe, or they Suddenly, have permission in that moment to realize that it was okay to feel it and it would have been okay to cry a little bit longer and you wouldn't have gotten stuck and that's such a privilege and I'm amazed by the stories that people share we always set up a agreement that whatever is shared is is never uh, it never goes beyond that room and so there's freedom in that. That's what people need to heal, is is a safe spot to be really honest about what hurts and what you thought should have hurt but didn't. I mean, there's all of those layers of things, too, are things that you're actually like, I'm actually glad that my husband isn't here right now because if he was, he'd be suffering. And that's hard to say to people. I had one dream where he was, I I was at a point where I wanted him to come back and that dream was a huge correction. Like, okay, that's not going to (laughs) happen. So the dreams were really, really instructive and really wise.
2: I think it's a good time. Yeah, it's a good time to talk about night school. And uh, (laughs) let's hear about your dreams. You shared a couple with Mary. Um, So let's go to your first one and then uh, we can go
0: through. Okay. First one was so dramatic it was eight days after the suicide think about that eight days that's no time at all and we'd had the service my kids were still here and I was going to go into a dental practice which I'm all arty there's nothing science about me so this is like a totally foreign playground and now I own a dental practice with no dentist and I've got staff that need their salaries and I need to keep this thing somehow magically afloat so they get paid and so I can sell it to a a new dentist. And there were fabulous people that came and helped to make that all happen. But I'm eight days, I'm going to go in there for the first time to start figuring out how to do that. And I have absolutely no idea how to do that. And I have this dream, and I dream that um, my husband and I are in – Ashland, Oregon, which we had been about a month before the suicide, and we're walking to his car, and his car is a symbol of everything that was him and not me. He loved this car. He was like a toothbrush to the hubcap, sort of, we're going to keep this car pristine. And we're walking to the car. I'm on the sidewalk. I can't see my husband, but I can feel him. He's floating, and he's next to me sort of behind me but he's playing this melodic music that's just so joyful and so um reverent and there's nothing depressed about it right nothing and so i'm i'm happy i'm on the sidewalk feeling like joyful cuz he's okay he's finally lifted from this horrible burden of depression like he's he's happy And I get to the car and I get in and I'm in the passenger seat and then suddenly I'm in the driver's seat and I can still hear my husband outside the car and he's the music I can hear. But now I I have to drive this car that I never drive. And I start to drive down Main Street, which is small, and I realize the brakes don't quite work. They work a little, but I'm not going to be able to come to a full stop unless I really plan ahead. And that's okay because right now it's flat but I know there's this ravine coming up and when I start down that ravine, I'm not going to be able to stop. And at the base of that ravine is a freeway on off ramp and I'm scared. So I'm in his car driving, coming to that ravine. I start down and I grab the emergency brake and I pull it up. And at that moment, I, I, my, my line of sight in this dream is totally focused on, Marley's hand pulling up the emergency brake on everything that symbolizes my husband's world, right? I can do this. I, I can stop this vehicle. At that moment, his alarm clock went off. He'd been dead for eight days. The alarm clock had never gone off, and I don't usually remember my dreams unless I wake up. So I am, I'm I'm bolt out of bed. I'm terrified by what is happening, because this is real. I dream this. And the stream is telling me, I got this. You'll be able to know when to pull the brake. You'll be able to know when to coast. You can do this, Marley. You can navigate this world that is not your usual MO. And I have to get out of bed to go turn off his alarm clock. I'm trembling, shaking. There's so many levels in that moment. I realize, A, I'm not alone. There's something here that's telling me, it's gonna be okay and it wants me to know that I'm gonna be okay. It's also telling me Dick is okay. He's absolutely playing heavenly music. He's like amazing. And I I can explain why the alarm clock went off for people that are like, this is just too far out there. And I had been cleaning something around there. I must have bumped something. But if I let that explanation go, I'm missing the point that, the moment I saw my hand in a, in the, on the emergency break, which was saying, you got this. You're going to be okay. It's going to be hard, but you're going to be okay. The alarm clock went off. The timing of that is incredible. And I, I thought, wow, something happens at night when I can't control it. I'm not in, um, I'm not in charge. I have no way of making that dream happen. So instead of being afraid to go to bed because you're a widow and your husband's not in bed and it's always that, that all changed that night. I thought, wow, I need guidance. So every night I would go to bed thereafter and just pray. It's like, well, okay, here we are, the love I call God, which is so much bigger than anything I knew before going through grief. Okay, I um, don't know what I need I think you do. So if it's, if you're going to teach me via a dream, I'm open to that. If we're just going to lay awake all night and kind of go through things because they had those fitful nights. Okay. I'll do that. If I just need sleep, quiet, peaceful, rejuvenating sleep, grant me that. So I, I never took sleeping medication or anything because I just, I wanted to have my night class. (laughs) I still do, and I still love it, and I, I think that what I would most want your listeners to know is it's innate in all of us. There is that voice deep down. I call it soul. You can call it the God in you, the be still and know, your subconscious. You guys are the ones that know. You're doing research on this. That is in you, and it's powerful, and it only wants to give you good information and so from that day forward the first thought i have when i wake up in the morning i i make a note of whatever that is because it's probably really wiser than i am and i need to to note it
2: (laughs) wow what a amazing dream to have only eight days after he died like some people wait years you know oh, to get absolutely. something like that, and for you to have it at such a beautiful time. he said like for it to wake you up at the moment it did, because you may have had that dream, and then because the alarm clock didn't wake you up, you sleep through it. You get another dream, and that's the dream you remember. And so it's just the timing is very beautiful. Also, as you're sort of reflecting on, and so I'm curious: it's Did you ever fun. play? Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Did uh, did your husband ever play an instrument? Because I'm curious why he was playing music.
0: Not while I knew him,
2: mm. he
0: he played um, clarinet, I think. But I not no. The answer really is no. <laughs> <laughs> but it was symbolic of how light he was. Mm. If there was nothing light about my husband when he died. He was so heavily laden with sorrow, and he was the opposite of that. Mm. The opposite of that and then from that point forward the the dreams were just and i'm glad it was that soon and i can't explain how perfect that was but that's there's a magic about it that I, it's 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 the reason i know i need people to understand that they really are going to get through things and they really it's not on their shoulders. (laughs) I mean, I didn't make that dream happen. I didn't make the alarm clock go off. I don't know, but I needed it. And because I needed it, I had it. And that was kind of the way the whole grief was. Whatever I really needed, it appeared not what I wanted. Trust me. There was just a ton of stuff I would have wanted to go a certain way, but, and it didn't but i really did always in retrospect and you only know in retrospect that i really did have what i needed as i needed it and i really believe that's true for everyone
2: i think that's that's great i know a lot of people that don't have the dreams or they want these dreams at certain moments they just don't get it you know it's it's tough for them but i'm happy that you had it and i see this a lot how these dreams really do have these almost magical effects in the sense of helping us in our greatest times of sorrow to give us hope as basically as you're saying, because, you know, the depression and grief can eat at that and to give you sort of some respite in the sense of seeing him again, right? Healthy and lively and light must've been so amazing because <laughs> it was what, like how long since you've seen him like that?
0: Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I don't think I'm honest about that. because It was, you know, depression is gradual at
1: first mm-hmm.
0: And then, so I don't even know. We, we'd had a decade of actively treating his illness. That's mm-hmm. a long time. But in the beginning, it wasn't nearly what it ended up being. Not even close. Right. So it's just hard to, you know. And it
2: Maybe like 10 years. Wow.
0: Yeah. It, yeah. it has been a long time. But um, I also know that we were just meant to share this. I don't know why, but I, I was meant to be with, I, we loved each other. It was, it was just meant to share this journey. So we did.
2: Yeah. It's great that you can see him again in that way that you've always hoped for, you know, through those 10 years to, exactly. for him to reach that point. So I think that's amazing to be able to see that in, in the imagery and also the, the break and everything. I, I like, to give you that hope to wake up knowing that's what it meant i think it's a beautiful thing and so let's talk about did that dream actually happen were you able to close the business and transfer it all and know when to stop
0: yes with help hmm. a suicide widow at eight days after the suicide uh not thinking clearly just not even possible you think you are <laughs> <laughs> But I had I had really great help and the people that worked for my husband were marvelous, wonderful people, but they were really knee deep in grief too. I mean they loved him. So we're a a broken little group of people earnestly trying. And like I said, we kinda had what we needed as we needed it. And what ended up happening was a woman in she was Uh, working at a practice in Portland and I'd sent out mass emails you know, saying the practice was for sale and the person that she was working for said, well, you might want to check on this. So she came and uh, said she would help as long as it took to get someone to buy the practice and then she ended up buying it. So it couldn't have been more perfect, but it didn't feel perfect at the time. All of that took four months, which is like Hugely fast and fabulous and wonderful, but it felt like an eternity. It felt like 40 years to me because you're just, you're not well
1: <laughs> and
0: that's okay. You shouldn't be. No one's okay after a suicide. You just aren't, but good things. You know, she's, she's and the practice is thriving. I was thrilled it was a female. We didn't have a female pediatric dentist in our town yet. And um, I'm just very grateful for all of that, but I didn't do it. It was, but I did, I did have the confidence to try because of
2: the emergency break
0: I, and, you know, decision-making needed to happen. And yeah, I did it.
2: And I think that's great how you had to help. You didn't need to do it alone. And you're right. Almost like it's a metaphor of knowing you can have the emergency break is enough to have the confidence to be able to go through with it all. I don't
0: think I would have without that dream I, wow, it was pivotal that dream was pivotal and i I was scared to death, of course, but the dream somehow, and with the alarm going off, the drama of that told me, okay it's I'm being told this is going to work, so trust that and and that really helped me. I needed that.
2: I love it. I love hearing that. That's it's basically why we have this podcast. to hear some of these stories that really have huge change. That these dreams have huge change in people's lives. And not just yeah. sort of the emotional, but like it changed how you're able to even pass on the business and the hope moving forward. I love it. I love it all. So thank you for sharing that. Did you have any more uh, dreams after that? Or is that the only one?
0: Oh, I had tons.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're <laughs> one of those people, eh? <laughs> Every week. One of those,
0: here's one I want to ask you. I want to <laughs> ask if you guys see this dream all the time because this seems like what I would call this must be what everybody dreams. I'm going upstairs, up, 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 and I get to a landing. I'm really tired. I have a whole bunch further to go. So symbolic of the grief journey, right? And I get on this landing and there's some doors there and this person comes out who in the dream I know the person, but in real life I have no idea who this was. This person was all things negative, down, um, hopeless, you know, that depression thing. And um, my children are coming up the stairs behind me. I can hear them coming, and I don't want this horrible energy to hit them when they get to the landing. And then, so I'm wanting this person to go back behind the door. But I know this person. I like this person. I I don't know him real well. It's Not my husband. And I, my kids get there and, and I'm like, okay. So I put my hands on this guy's face and I say, (laughs) it's really weird that I remember this so clearly. I said, listen, you've got to hang on to hope. You just have to. I promise you joy will return. You will feel joy again. And he shakes his head like I don't think so. He doesn't say a word. Never did say a word. Just I don't think so. And he he goes back and goes behind the door. And I woke up then. And, and I think it was that part of grief where you can you, you can wallow for a while and in hopelessness if you're not careful. But you kind of deserve to for a while. It's okay to stop on the landing and and feel it for a while, but then you keep ascending. <laughs> and I figure that's a pretty standard, maybe I'm just fantasizing, but I just think that would probably be a dream, a lot of people would dream that you, you, you're climbing. It's an uphill battle.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I haven't seen a lot of those types of dreams. Um, most of the dreams I have looked at, though, have the disease present in them. So, um, But yeah, like stairways that is an interesting way of you looking at the dream. And it makes sense. totally makes sense. It reflects your waking life and also reflects you being a mother and protecting your kids, right? Moving forward. Um, So like doing it for them in a way, right? You're progressing for them in, in like a subtle way too. But yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. So yeah, I don't know. Like if I collected more dreams without the deceased during grief, I think maybe those themes may pop up a little bit more. Um, But yeah, so yeah, you're, you're one of the first to share it on here. Anyways.
0: (laughs) well i can I'll give you another one i the this one was probably two years after my husband died, and I already had been reassured many in many ways that he was totally free of all depression he was happy healthy free. I knew that I knew that in my bones that he was okay now, but in this dream i'm um, in Frontier Town. I, I grew up in Montana, and I assume that's where this was. And you walk on these uh, boardwalks, and they had little vignettes it, that were back in a Frontier Town sort of setting. And I'm with another couple, and I'm taking them through showing them this. So you you see the barber shop, you see the general store, you see the, um, oh, I don't know where you, you get the shoes on the horses the horseshoe the i can't whatever that's called blacksmiths and we go through all of that and it's a u-shape this sidewalk thing with all these vignettes we get to the end of the u and there's a park in in the middle of the u and we're going to go back across to the beginning where probably the parking lot is but i don't see any of that so i step one foot off of the, the wooden boardwalk onto the grass and immediately all these white blooms start to come up and they're they're gorgeous, very heavenly, right? And my husband comes running towards me and he's all in white and he lifts me up and twirls me around and we're like total joy and I'm beyond thrilled that he is so good and he's so happy and he's back. That's the feeling I have and he's back and he's great. This is awesome. And the minute I put a foot back on the boardwalk on the other side of the U, he morphs into this awful, like three foot high being that is tortured again. And he he can't be seen, it's so unsightly, and he runs and he hides in the very first vignette. And I am panicked because I don't want this couple to see him. And I woke up realizing, okay wow i'm free of that now i don't have to hide it anymore but i do have to just really understand that he is totally fine now and you would never want to wish him back to where he was the loving thing to do is to truly let go of all that and that's hard but it was a great dream (laughs) the 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 moment of exuberation when we were together and he's just totally himself again was really, really wonderful.
2: Wow. That's I think it's another great way to, to look at that dream. Uh, And it also reflects too of our conversations here on when he was here, how you had to protect him in different ways, you know, like hide him away while he was here. And so, yeah, it's very interesting how it, you know you can reflect on that and what you're doing on the podcast which is great about just like seeing that and realizing how that dimmed your spirit living a lie um and to be the yes. most beautiful you have to be honest you know as much as it hurts um honesty is a great way of finding wh- what you love and who you love and to balance out your own emotions to be able to have that you just need the friends to be able to be honest with because not everyone will uh Accept you, and that's just life, right? But that's okay, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's okay. Um, so we I'm curious.
0: Suicide? We don't know that. Uh,
2: I, I don't know if you need that to be. I know you that don't. no one, no one's died by suicide. Yeah, and I am male, so. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so moving forward, uh, our last question is uh, that we always like to ask our guests is if you could have a dream tonight of someone who's died. So uh, it could be your husband, it could be even your father. Who would that be, and what would that look like?
0: I've thought about this because I listen to your podcast. This is odd, but I would want, I had a very cranky grandmother, very negative, and her husband died when I was pretty little. I have really fond memories of my grandpa being really warm and um, loving, and I would like the two of them to come and kind of explain to me their dynamic and what lessons they would want me to take from their dynamic it would be very interesting
1: i like that i like that a lot just to finish up here i know i know we built that dream with your grandmother and grandfather where would you want that to take place
0: wherever they want it to take place i don't i know so little about especially my grandfather because i was so little when he died and my grandmother honest to god i hate saying this she was always dying always dying lived to be 96 you can imagine if you're dying every day clear up to 96 this is, this is, a, this is a hard road to hoe right so i don't know i i would just be so open to whatever there's got to be some major lesson there and i I, she's one of my best teachers, not in a positive way, but I, I certainly learned a lot from her uh, how not to live and well, what not living looks like. So
1: That's big of you. Yeah. I think, like, if I had to craft a dream, I probably wouldn't put someone that I thought about in a negative light in there. But, but here's that's the very, deal. I, yeah, sorry, go ahead.
0: I, I know that she's not that anymore. I really believe that after we leave, I don't know what eternity means or any of that. No one can know that. But I think the spirit that lives on, that isn't burdened by the body and the, the persona that we have right now, is free from all of that. Just as my husband is free of depression. Um, so she's in that, to pull the biblical, the peace that passes all understanding. So she's super wise because of how she kind of didn't live her life the way that she should have. So she would be like really awesome to tell me (laughs) what not to do because she knows now. Well, I like free of all that.
1: I like that. And it seems like you're open to change. You know, those rules have changed. You know, the earthly rules have changed, right? Like gravity doesn't apply anymore. You know, physics doesn't matter. (laughs) it's changed so those and the statements the narrative around your grandmother in your eyes has changed so i think that's amazing because you're opening yourself up to a new possibility which you've allowed in the dream world which is fantastic that's exactly what we try to promote and and say is that hey there's there's a there's a window here there's a possibility here for for things to obviously change in your life and and it can happen through grief dreams so uh beautiful beautiful marley to hear that well, it's a pleasure
0: to be here and I really hope people will attend night school tonight.
2: <laughs> I don't think they have a choice.
1: <laughs>
0: it's
2: a mandatory well, class. <laughs> <laughs> That's the word. It,
0: it's just pass fail. There's no problem. <laughs> you can't be it.
1: It's a prerequisite for life. You gotta <laughs> take
2: that. That's funny. Uh, yeah, it was a pleasure to talk to you, Marley. And I'm—you uh, have to let us know if you get that dream. Have you ever had a dream of either of your grandparents
1: before?
0: No, not those. Oh, the okay. other grandma—I uh, was very close to my other grandma, and she's—I've had lots of dreams with her in them, but not—not not 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 this side of the family. It'd be very interesting. Oh, interesting.
2: Yeah. Hopefully, uh, one day you can. Maybe if you draw out your dream that you want, maybe that will trigger something. Ooh. <laughs> just saying we had control
0: only
1: we had control,
2: we had control. <laughs> well first try it before you knock it
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. watch you have one too but yes <laughs> i like that yeah Get a get a blank canvas you know maybe maybe start the process of just of yeah. painting this dream and who knows yeah know?
2: well yeah that's yeah. the thing that's what i'm really curious for because that's how you process your grief yeah. so if you're if there was a block there because it's interesting you dreamt of other people not them um, maybe that'll work it out in some way to allow that yeah, to uh, yeah. pop in. So uh, anyways, when we wrap up the show, uh, uh, could you tell us any place where people can find you? I know you're also, you have a book. so If you want to explain maybe what your book is and where they can find that too.
0: Yeah, I have a website, com, And if you're grieving a suicide, I think it could be helpful. If you're grieving anything, I also think it could be helpful because we all grieve the book also came from that inner place that really wasn't me um, and the good parts of the book are that and the, the overwritten parts came from my brain but it's a children's storybook it's called sparkle always and it's about five kids that go into these sparkle rooms they're all identical when they go in and they can do whatever they want in there and they can have as much time as they want and when they come out and share their rooms. They're five radically different rooms and they're so fun. And these kids are six years old when they get to do this. And then they're told they get to come back when they're 12. And they're so excited because they've had so much fun and it'll be so great. And they kind of share all their uniqueness that came out in these rooms. But when they come back, of course, at age 12, they don't want to come. And they've been talked out of who they are And this is so important to me because this is how depression gets its seeds when we start giving up who we really are to accommodate parents and teachers and peer pressure and all those things. And it deals with that in a really interesting, truthful way. And had my husband had this book as a child, maybe he would have learned and I'm hoping I'm better at listening to the difference between my ego, which is always just trying to protect me, but it's really appearance driven versus my soul, or I call it my God glow, which is where the dreams come from, which can only speak love and truth, but it's really quiet and the ego is really loud. And then the most dangerous of all is the voice of doubt, which is outside of us, all those pressures, and that's the voice that says, "Who do you think you are? You can't do that," and and all, and it just it shows how that consumes you. I mean, it's it it's a really powerful story. I can say that because I really didn't do this; it just came through me, and I think it could help kids navigate the world a bit better and hang on. Longer and proudly to who they're meant to be because we're all wired for something uniquely special and we're not all the same. So that's the book. And the website shows the art. I love, love, love teaching one on one, or I, I do group things too, you know, with big art audiences. But, um, you know, I'm 64, I don't really need a career here. It's just if, if it's a fundraiser for mental health or suicide prevention, I will be there.
1: That's some wonderful stuff, Marley, And, and I'm really happy that you got to come on today and, and share what's going on in your world and also share your life and, and share your husband's life as well. Um, you know, I think, you know, it's difficult, but you did a great job of describing what you went through and, and the challenges and, and And the frustrations and all that and and, you know showing that you know your husband's light throughout his life and also even in, in the dream it's a joyous one and you're able to still see that and i think that's important and you know society for whatever reason uh we're still figuring that out is how to be best supportive for our loved ones and family and people around us who who've you know, kill themselves and, the, and their families around them. And I think um, I'm, it was sad to kind of hear that you didn't get the complete support that you needed. But, you know, I think we've all agreed that as time goes on, I think that stigma will, will hopefully vanish and we can help support those yeah. who through um, suicide. And, and it's really beautiful that you got to share those grief dreams because that's another outlet that we can show people that, hey, that bond continues, and you absolutely are, yeah you're changing through that bond as well and it's a beautiful thing because because when you share those dreams like it, it's a joy that you see in those so thank you so much and you've given us oh, uh you're you. yeah, you're welcome you've given us your website which is oh you already done that perfect <laughs> perfect and uh, <laughs> again um again thank you so much i'm gonna give out our website at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic um, if you have Facebook, you can join the grief dreams group and you can share your dreams or hear more or hear more dreams of others. We are on Twitter and Instagram at grief dreams and at the grief dreams podcast. And as always, we like to end the show with love and gratitude from us to you.